This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the Mike Francesa Podcast as we hit what is a very, very big week. Uh, in sports here in early April. If you're in our business and all the years that I uh, obviously was doing what I did for so long, you look forward all winter for spring to come and for certain events to come. You look for the NCAA tournament because it means the end of the winter and the dreariness. But right now, look what you have in the next couple of days. You have uh, an NCAA championship game tonight, a good one between Carolina and Kansas, you have uh, the Masters, which will begin Thursday, and with a little added intrigue, although I still am amazed that it's even a possibility that we could be talking about Tiger Woods entering the field. We don't know that yet. We will know that on Wednesday, whether he will enter or not. I think there is still some uh, intrigue to be answered there because it seems to me it would be remarkable that he would even be able to play uh, four days in a row and walk that very, very hilly course. And it's a course, if you've been there, and I've been there a couple of times, you're shocked by how uh, how hilly it is and how much up and down walking there is on some of the holes. It is really uh, a very, very hilly course to walk and a challenging course to walk for, uh, for golfers, especially ones that have gone through the kind of injuries that Tiger Woods sustained in his accident. Uh whatever, how long ago that was, 15 months or whatever long ago it was. And then, of course, you have baseball uh, after a strange offseason and an even stranger spring training. Baseball begins on Thursday uh, here in New York with the Yankees and the Red Sox. Well, the weather is not good. It's going to rain and it's probably going to be in the 40s. So uh, the weather has not been good. We, you know, you learn now especially as you look to the future uh, of spending, as I do, half the year here and half the year in Florida, uh, which is our plans once our kids go off to college, um, it really is, isn't nice here until May. I mean, there's no way around it. Uh, spring, there is no spring. You get into the warm weather in May, and that's it. The, before that, you get 30-degree days, and let's look at the last couple of weeks. Uh, we had a couple of 70-degree days about two weeks ago. Since then, it has been just terrible, rainy, cold, damp weather, and more of that in the forecast in uh, the next couple of days. So what we're going to do is we're going to cover some things today, including the uh, national title game. And then we will do two podcasts, one specifically to baseball with over-unders and predictions with Bobby Valentine. Uh, That will download no later than Wednesday evening. And then one for the Masters with predictions and some expert analysis and a whole bunch of different things. And that will also download no later than uh, Wednesday since the Masters begins on Thursday morning, bright and early in Augusta. I haven't looked at the weather forecast for Augusta yet. Hopefully it's good because when it's not, it's terrible. I was there once when it didn't even play on Thursday. 
and they had a really struggle to get the round in over a couple of days. And it was a very, very busy Friday and into Saturday morning there. And the mud was up to your knees when you walked around that course on Friday morning trying to follow somebody. That's after a torrential rain had uh, canceled the Thursday card. That was the year that uh, Mike Weir won it. Uh, that was one of the few times. I've been there three different times, as a matter of fact. Uh, and I can tell you, it is really one of the special places to go, not to go for the whole weekend, go for a day or two. You want to be home in front of your set on Sunday, that's the best place to be. That's the best place to follow all the action, all the changing action on Sunday. But on a Saturday or a Friday card, you follow someone other than the big stars on a Thursday. You find a spot where you can see two or three different holes and move around on a Friday, and then you head home. If you're fortunate enough to ever get there, jump at the chance. Same thing for the final four. You know, this is uh, – it's been a interesting final four and an interesting tournament. You had St. Peter's, which made things very interesting from an underdog standpoint. You had the Coach K final game saga that went from game to game to game and ended Saturday night against uh, arch rival North Carolina, who they played for the first time ever in the NCAA tournament in one of the more dramatic uh, Final Four games ever. And New Orleans is such a great place to have a Final Four or a Super Bowl. And it really takes me back because my first NCAA tournament that I worked for CBS it's the first NCAA that the that CBS had the NCAA tournament. That was one of the reasons I got a job there was because they knew they were getting college football and college basketball and they hadn't done any of it for a long, long time. And they didn't have anybody who knew a lot about it. So they brought me in for that reason and also put me in on the NFL Today uh, and the NBA playoffs. So I covered four different things and did four different jobs for them through those years before I went on the air, which was 87 the first time I went on the air for CBS. I uh, had done a bunch of tournaments before that from behind the scenes. And I had a courtside view for some of the great tournaments and the tournaments that launched this tournament. This tournament took off and went to a different level. Remember, they used to play Thursday with the championship game on Saturday afternoon. They then moved to the Saturday Final Four and the Monday Night Championship and the tournament got bigger. But where the tournament took off, it began with Bird Magic. And then the explosion happened through the years that I was first a part of it. 82 in New Orleans. Jordan making the shot against Georgetown. Ewing and the great Georgetown team. Ewing as a freshman. And, of course, the great Carolina team with... Perkins and Jordan and, and, and the like. And Sleepy Floyd was in that game. There were so many big stars in that game. And Jordan made the shot. They threw the ball away. And Georgetown lost by a point. Ewing showed you that night the first, you know, he had been this shot-blocking, terrorizing freshman who then showed you really the glimpses of what he would become as a pro as that night he really shot the ball beautifully in a wonderful performance that went for naught in that championship game. 83 was Albuquerque and Jim Valvano. Five slam a jammer on the Saturday, beating Louisville in a game that they said would change the course of basketball. And then you had this NC State team 
led by the fast talking, you know, very, very comical Jim Valvano. And, you know, he got into the press conference and said, I'm going to hold the ball till Tuesday. And then in an interview that he did with us, off the record, he said to us, I'm going to run with him. And he did try to run with him. And he ran with him well early. But then there was a part in that game where Houston just took over the game and exploded and really had the game under control until they pulled the ball out and then missed a bunch of free throws and turned it into a low-scoring, one-possession game, which NC State was able to win and shocked the world. Then to 84, out to the Georgetown. You had Kentucky, Georgetown in the semifinals when Georgetown put forth one of the great defensive displays ever in Seattle. And then the final, Ewing and Olajuwon, won by Ewing. Olajuwon went on to be even a better pro than Ewing. Ewing making his second of three trips to the championship game a victory in Seattle, and then the next year, and that ties in really to tonight, the next year when you had the game in Lexington played in Rupp Arena, which is one of the few times it's been played in a small arena. It's usually played in these massive arenas, small meaning 22,000 or whatever Rupp holds, 22, 23 for basketball, whatever it held that night. But that game, played by Roly Massimino and his Villanova Wildcats, who it was the last game played without a shot clock. They held the ball for many possessions over a minute and shot the ball brilliantly, incredibly. Harold Jensen and Villanova winning a 66-64 decision against the considered to be unbeatable Ewing senior-driven Georgetown team, Ewing went to the championship game three years, won one, and lost two heartbreakers. That's how dominant Georgetown was in his era. It was four years of unbelievable basketball, starting in New Orleans with Jordan and the great shot. Still the best game I've ever seen played between Carolina and Georgetown. Then Houston upsetting five slammer jammer. Ewing versus Olajuwon in Seattle, and then culminating with Villanova, the eight seed, the lowest seeded team ever to win the tournament, an eight seed, beating Georgetown in that game that night, shooting the ball so brilliantly, holding the ball so strategically, and winning the game 66 64 in what was one of the great upsets and really culminated a run of games that launched this tournament and launched the final four, but the entire tournament into the stratosphere as an event. And there's ties to those games tonight because you're in New Orleans. You have blue bloods again, where you had Villanova, which is now a blue blood losing to Kansas and Kansas shot the ball brilliantly in that game. Villanova shot the ball brilliantly on its way to a championship and beating Kansas along the way a couple of years ago. And Kansas returned the favorite the other night by just shooting the ball brilliantly inside and out uh, against Villanova, which really did miss Moore a lot. But, hey, Kansas, give them credit for their win. Villanova did what they could do, hung in the game, had a brief moment in the second half, but really it was Kansas almost from start to finish. And then the Duke... 
Carolina game. And now Carolina, which was really a non-entity all season, played miserably. I saw him play Kentucky on TV where they just got destroyed. I mean, I think Nance's last comment that – well, it wasn't Nance who did the game, but whoever did the game that day um, said they have a lot of work to do. Carolina's got a lot of work to do. Well, Carolina did have a lot of work to do. They got blown out by Kentucky and Vegas. And this year, Kentucky also blew out Kansas, interestingly, and then loses in the first round of St. Peter's, which just tells you how crazy this tournament is from a one-and-done standpoint. But now you have an eight seed going up again, and it's not a legitimate eight seed because they, let's be honest, they have first seed talent, but they played like an eight seed all season. Going up against this Kansas team, which has been so impressive. Kansas has had a softer road there. Carolina blew a 25-point lead to Baylor and then beat them in overtime. That wouldn't have happened except for the... uh, Ejection by Manica was just tearing Baylor apart, but it did. That was a wonderful game. And they beat UCLA where they were trailing, and they beat Duke when they were trailing as Love stepped up and made big basket after big basket and just took those games over the way guards can take this game over. And he has attacked the rim and attacked from three, which makes him a lethal player and a very big player this evening. Carolina, I think, has a better – I'm going to go on the idea that the uh, brilliant rebounding Bacchett is healthy tonight. He sprained his ankle a little bit the other day, but he came back in the game. They say he's okay. We're going to go on that premise. Carolina's a five-man team. I think one through five, they're probably better than Kansas by a smidge. But if it's an eight-man team, then Kansas is better. They have size, both of them do. They've both out-rebounded everybody in the tournament. I think each of them have been out-rebounded offensively from the offensive rebound standpoint once in the tournament. But they've each out-rebounded in team totals every team they've played. They have – Carolina does the size to play Kansas, which Villanova didn't have. And in Manic and in Love uh, and in Backett, they have big-time players, guys who are going to be pros. And you're not winning these games without a couple of pros. That's the way it works out. So Kansas has been installed as a a four-and-a-half-point favorite. You can check that out at Bet Rivers. The over-under number is high for this tournament because a lot of games – in this tournament have been under uh, and have been low scoring. It's 152, but this game could easily go there. As a matter of fact, I think the winner will score over 75 because these two teams want to run. Villanova never let go of the rope, and they, you knew they wouldn't. But they couldn't stop them in the half court. They couldn't stop the big man. They couldn't go out and stop the three-point shooting, which was just electrifying for Kansas in that game. And they really missed Moore's defensive prowess. He usually plays the best guy defensively, and they did miss him. But again, that's the way it goes. Injuries are part of the game. You play with who's there. And Kansas put on a terrific offensive display. Carolina has put on wonderful offensive displays in this tournament. 
They were behind the UCLA and Love made the big baskets. They were behind Duke and Love made the big baskets. And Mac made a huge three also to put them back in front. And, you know, back and forth we went in that wonderful Carolina-Duke game. And these teams can both run at each other tonight. There'll probably be flurries in this game where one will get hot and take a lead and the other one will probably get hot and take the lead. And as long as Beckett is healthy and he has been a rebounding machine in this tournament, I think Carolina has a very good chance to make this a game right to the finish and really a classic this evening. I think uh, the winner will probably be over 75. I think they will run at each other. I don't think Carolina is afraid to run with Kansas and Kansas wants to run and can run better than anybody in the country. Their break is brilliant. They can both shoot the basketball. They are both offensively efficient. They both can be a little haphazard defensively at times. They both have size and can pound those backboards. It's a terrific, terrific matchup for the championship game and sets up and starts a wonderful week. My very good friend, Jim Nance, it's always a wonderful week. You know, when he comes off the Super Bowl, he has a run like no one else has in sports from the Super Bowl to the Final Four to the Masters. You know, every year he has the same week. He does the championship. He does the Final Four on Saturday. He does the championship game on Monday night, gets on a plane and heads to his beloved Augusta and will be there the rest of the week. And if you've ever, and I have, Walked Augusta with Nance, it's like walking, you know, walking in with the president. I mean, the people worship him there because he is the voice and the face of golf. Uh, he just is. We can dispute what, who's better at what sport. There's nobody in his class in golf. He is the voice and the face of golf, and the Masters thinks so, too. I mean, and he is very much the, you know, soundtrack of the Masters. And the Masters has been... As we said, we'll do a special on it. We'll put some guests up, uh, put some, do some predictions. I, I love to predict golf, and you get great odds on it, great odds on these guys. I mean, big prices. I mean, a favorite is Rom, and Rom is, heck, you know, Rom is probably, let me look at it. I'll go to the uh, Bet River site right here, just give you an idea. I think he's, I think he's 10 to 1. Uh, as the favorite to win the tournament. Let me see right here. Um, he is 11 to 1. He and Justin Thomas are 11 to 1, followed by the red hot Scotty Scheffler, who's 14. Cameron Smith, who's also played very well, is 16. Victor Hovland, an up and coming star, is 16. So is Rory McElroy. Dustin Johnson is 18. So is Cantley. Morikawa, Shoffley, Kepka, 20 to 1. I can tell you right now, one of my picks will be Kepka, 20 to 1. I love him in the majors. I always expect him to play well, and he always seems to, and he will at 20 to 1 is a very, very generous guy. But there's guys there, 50, 60, 70 to 1, who can win this tournament. There's no question about it. But we will have the latest on Tiger Woods at that time. I'm stunned that we are even talking, that we are even possibly speaking about Tiger Woods playing in this tournament. 
in the last couple of days, I've seen people say, wow, can Tiger make the cut? Can Tiger compete? The question I have is, can Tiger actually play four rounds? I still will be absolutely stunned if he says he's ready to go. Now, yeah, he said he will make a decision on Wednesday. The fact that he's out there playing practice rounds is shades of Ben Hogan, who you know came back from that almost fatal car accident when he basically got in an accident in his convertible with the truck and threw himself heroically across his wife to keep her alive. And they said he'd never walk again, though, let's play golf. And we all know what happened with him. Tiger had an injury that the rumblings that I heard from people who were close to him were that they were wondering if he'd ever play golf again. And now he's back talking about playing the Masters. Which is utterly remarkable, which to me will be utterly amazing. And he's amazed us many times in the past. This would put another chapter to it. It really would. And forget him making the cut or winning the tournament. I mean, that's beyond my wildest, you know, imagination. The idea that he could play four rounds and compete would be an amazing, an amazing comeback. Really a remarkable comeback. Hogan-like in, a, in, in, in its enormity. Like I said, if you ask me right now, do you think he's going to play? I don't. I, I didn't think he would, and he still hasn't committed. But if he does, I, I wouldn't miss a second of it. I don't think anybody else will either. I mean, it's a, it will be an, an – the Masters is always great drama. The course is always the story. The legend of the event and the bigness and special qualities of the event are what make it the Masters. Every year, it's such a good group. It's, it's not a big field, you know, because you got a lot of ex-Masters champions who were not even going to compete. And you have some of them who were too old to really compete and some of them who aren't going to be comp- very competitive anymore. So the field is not enormous. Select. But it's a tournament where it's always a great movable leaderboard on late Saturday and then, of course, when they make the turn to Amen Corner on Sunday. You know, as everyone always says, the tournament starts on Sunday uh, on the back nine. Most, we, most years, that is the case. And we all know how changeable that can be from guys misjudging the wind on 12 to whether or not to go for that eagle that you desperately need after a so-so drive on 13 or 15. Just, there's nothing like it. I mean, it's for, for anyone who's a golf fan and anyone who's a sports fan, it is a very special four days. And Bent Rivers will have a lot of special things. You can go to their site and see that. I've already seen some of the stuff with the birdies. And, you know, you bet a certain guy and you get so many dollars for uh, Eagle and so many dollars for birdies. So they're going to have a whole bunch of promotions for it. And golf is a great sport to have some fun with wagering on. Great sport. Because the odds are enormous. It's like horse racing. The odds are tremendous. You get a big bang for your buck. And then the other part of this week, baseball, 
will be upon us come Thursday. The Yankees and the Red Sox from the stadium, the Mets opening in Washington, maybe with Scherzer we're wondering about the tweak to the hamstring. They've obviously had to deal with the DeGrom news and digest that, which has really put, really put a, a real beginning of the season for the Mets. Say what you want, it just does. Then the Yankees with all this nonsense again, which never goes away with Houston and Beltran. I mean, just enough. So it's a great week. You've been waiting. You hit April. The weather hasn't given us that spring-like feel yet here in New York, but you have a championship game to culminate a great couple of weeks of college basketball. Then you have the Masters and then the saga, the drama that always seems to come with the legend of Tiger Woods on top of everything else with the Masters. And then baseball. It's a great week. Back after this. You're listening to the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. This is the Mike Francesa podcast uh, coming to you uh, here on this uh, Monday. And as we said, we will drop special podcasts for baseball with Bobby V, with over unders and everything else, predictions on the locals and all of baseball. Uh, we will do that uh, no later than Wednesday and then drop a special one with predictions and expert commentary on the Masters, which will come your way Thursday, but we will drop that also on Wednesday. You can get it at betrivers.com. You can get it at all the places where you do get all your uh, podcast content, Apple, Spotify, down the line, et cetera, et cetera. And I should thank everybody because I've been told by the company that uh, we did really well with our First podcast, so we thank everybody for that. Thank the fans for uh, always being there. And uh, we appreciate everybody uh, taking time to listen. Uh, It's greatly appreciated, and I'm looking forward to doing these. Uh, And we will do a lot of different stuff as we uh, head through the days and weeks and months uh, with the good folks from uh, Bet Rivers. Uh, And, again, Bet Rivers in New York, Play Sugar House in Connecticut, and in Jersey, all part of the same company, just different names in those states. So check it out as you get ready for the Masters. Or for your baseball totals, or for your uh, baseball performances, who's going to win the Cy Young, the MVP, who's going to lead the league in homers, what your favorite player is going to do, et cetera, et cetera, and so on. You know, let me start with the locals for a second. I'll hold the totals. The Mets are at 90 and a half. It didn't change with DeGrom. No one knows exactly how long he's going to be out. We know it's at least a month. It's going to be probably at least two months. You got to figure even if he's ready to go back to action, it's going to take him another month to get ready after, after this. So you figure you're looking at two months minimum. Minimum. Hopefully it's not more than that for the great pitcher. And Scherzer with the, just the tweaking of the hamstring. But the number hasn't moved overall. The Mets have the ability to go out and spend as much money as they need, as we know. They have an owner with the deepest pockets in baseball. And they have they are very capably handled now by Buck. So it'll be interesting to see this unfold uh, as this year begins. Uh, the Yankees are in a very tough division. We know how tough it is. Uh, ask the Orioles how it is to play against the other teams in the division. We all know the Orioles... 
still haven't gotten out of their own way. It's not an easy thing to do when you can, you know, bang heads as many times as they are with the other teams in this division. The Yankee number at 91 and a half. We'll save that again for our baseball preview show. But let me touch on the, um, the Grom thing first. Hey, there's no way around it. The Met fan has to have been taken aback. DeGrom is such a special entity as a performer. He has taken his ability on the mound to such a height that the performances are special. The consistency and the quality of his performances are special. What is lacking is durability. And this goes for DeGrom or anybody else. You cannot be great if you don't play. Durability is a part of greatness. That goes for DeGrom. That goes for Durant. That goes for any player in any sport. You know, it's a funny thing, as everyone knows who's ever followed me and listened to me through the years, you know that the one player I ever idolized was Mickey Mantle. And it's quite an irony about Mantle. We all know that he was probably as gifted as any player who ever put on a pair of shoes. We all know that he dissipated himself with his bad habits. We also know that he was very unlucky in terms of the injuries he suffered, including osteomyelitis as a young man. So here was this incredibly gifted player, touched by the gods, who obviously also was touched by fate. But here's the other part of that. He found a way to play 18 years. He found a way to play 2,400 games. Yeah, he missed games. He wasn't playing 155 games, but he was there. And he led his team to the World Series 12 times in his first 14 years. So he was prolific. And when he got to the World Series, he knew what to do. He had 18 home runs in the World Series. Knocked in 40 runs, scored 40 runs in the World, in the World Series. Had big home run after big home run, big at bat after big at bat, and won championship after championship. So that's why... He is, despite his late nights and despite his terrible injuries that he suffered. And yes, he played hurt. And yes, he beat himself up. But he was able to get there and play, and that's why he was able to be remembered as one of the all-time greats. You cannot do that unless you can get to the batter's box or get to the mound. And DeGrom has not been able to get to the mound. And it is becoming an incredible issue. And it has to be something that is not only troubling the Mets, but troubling him. I would never, ever, ever say, as I've heard said a couple of places, well, does DeGrom soft? Don't, don't make that mistake. Don't go there. Not when someone's that good, don't go there. 
I remember the story, and I always use it as a word of caution, where everybody destroyed a power pitcher by the name of J.R. Richard. And killed him for not showing up and missing games and being hurt. And, and the next thing we know, he had suffered a stroke. Unspeakable to any of us. A life-threatening stroke. So don't ever make the mistake of thinking you know whether somebody is injured or not. Playing somebody who does what they do soft. When you watch DeGrom on the mound with the ball in his hand, he's anything but soft. So to go there is just the height of stupidity. But that does not mean that you do not detract from his greatness because of the fact that he doesn't get to the mound. That is a knock. He has to be durable or he will not be remembered the way he would have been remembered by the performances that he is able to put forth. You can't have one without the other. Part of greatness, a big part of it is showing up. And right now, there are real questions about that. I don't know when DeGrom's going to pitch this year. I don't know if DeGrom's going to pitch this year. I hope he does because he's that special. I want to say a word uh, about the Mets because part of it is that Eddie Coleman's leaving. Eddie called me the other day and said uh, that he was calling it quits. Now, as you know, if you're someone who goes back in the lore of FAN, my first partner was Eddie Coleman. Eddie was the radio veteran when I broke into business, and I learned a lot from him. I really did. He was very helpful to me early in my career. We didn't last together too long because they moved me away. They moved me in to fill in for Pete when he was sick. Uh, we didn't work together that often because I was always filling in for somebody, but he was my first partner, and we were friends from the get-go. And we remained friends all these years. And I... Uh, tweeted the other day that a lot of times when you have the kind of success that FAN's had, there are guys who are a big part of the station who were major contributors who get lost in the shuffle. Well, one of those was Eddie C. He was kind of our utility guy. He could do everything. He had a great radio voice. He could be a show host. He could be an update guy. He could do play-by-play, as he showed with the Mets for years. He could be a reporter. There was nothing that he couldn't do and do well. And maybe even at times in his career, that cost him a little bit because he did have the ability to do everything. And sometimes those guys do get lost a little bit. But no one who was part of fan, none of us who were part of fan ever didn't know Ed's value, how valuable he was to the station. He was very valuable to the station and a big cog in the station for all those years. And I texted Eddie and I said, the other day I said, Ed, I'm going to do a baseball uh, uh, podcast. If you want to roll in it, just let me know. So if he does, he's in. And Eddie is a guy who is a meticulous 
baseball gambler. He keeps the most meticulous pitching records I have ever seen. And if you're going to play baseball, I always say this, you either have to just play a formula, like I know guys who play certain streak games and certain streak things they use, okay, which I'll explain to you one day how they do it. And Or you play pitchers, but you must play baseball every day if you're a player. You cannot go in and out of baseball. It doesn't work that way because then you're just going to wind up playing favorites, and you know what? You get hammered when the Yanks lose a 3-1. to one. You know, the Yanks always look good when they're playing the Tigers or the Orioles, you know, except one thing. When they lose the game, you lose 3-1, to one, you know, or you lay two and a half runs and the Yanks win by, uh, you know, come from behind and win 6-5 in the bottom of the ninth and you lose. And don't think people don't all the time lay the one and a half runs rather than lay, you know, you know, 13-15 because of the fact that they don't want to get hammered that with that price. And they think, oh, Yanks got to win by two, and sometimes they win 8 nothing, But – a lot of times they come from behind and win the game two to one or three to two. And the reason that is that line's there is because baseball teams play a lot of one run games both ways. These guys are not dumb who make the lines. And baseball is a game where, like I said, you have to play it religiously. Eddie's a guy who always has and has kept his own meticulous pitching record. So if he wants to have a role on the podcast, I hope he does, then he's in. And I hope he says yes. He has I haven't heard from him yet. But I wanted to mention, because he has, he was a part of the station. He worked with me. Then he worked in the midday with different partners, Coleman, Soul Man, different guys through the years. Then he became the Met reporter, and then later he is a Met play-by-play guy. So he's had, he's done, and he's been an update guy. He's basically done every job you can do there. And he's been there from 87 on. And as he leaves, he's one of the genuine guys who's part of the foundation. And he should be mentioned. As is Bob Usler, who told me, I don't think I'm saying any out of school. He texts me. I haven't called him back yet, but he texts me and told me he's leaving. So there goes Usler, Mr. Met. You know, there were two update guys who were a big part of everything I did, Dog did with me, the Mike and the Mad Dog show, for 20 years, and then the years I was by myself after Dog left, the 12 or 13 years I was by myself, I had two update guys. I had Mink and I had Usler. I had the Mink man and Mr. Met, as I named him. And Mr. Met has caught on. He's known far and wide as Mr. Met. Mrs. Met was my late mother-in-law. who passed away right before Christmas. Mrs. O was a beautiful lady. Really just an incredible woman and is sorely missed. And she was Mrs. Met. She loved the Mets more than anything. And Bob was Mr. Met. Bob has the same kind of passion for the Mets that Mrs. O had. And they used to meet up at games together all the time. But she loved Useless. And Useless feisty. I mean, he can he got in a lot of arguments at the station. See, everybody loves Eddie. Useless is a fighter. He got in a million fights, but he was he wore his passion for the Mets on his sleeves. So the station's obviously gone through a transition. It happens. You know why? Because time doesn't stop, folks. Time's undefeated. We know that. And sooner or later, we all move on. And almost everybody now has. Susan is still there. 
from the beginning, a couple of the people still, but for the most part, everyone's pretty much moved on now. And it's time for a new generation, which is fine. That's, 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 that's how life works. I have no problem with that. And I wish the station well. You know, they asked me if I wanted to contribute to the station. I said, no, you know, you, I don't think so. I think, I think it's time for you guys to move on. And, and they have. And now they're moving on again. They moved on from Steve Summers and then Joe B, uh, who called me the other day and asked me to go on his podcast. And uh, now Usler and Minkman and Eddie C. And that's what happens. So maybe Eddie C will take me up on being a part. I hope he is a part of it. So I'll have Bobby V and Eddie C. We'll love it with the Mets this year. You're listening to the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. All right, Yankee baseball starts Thursday against the Red Sox. How good is that? Whenever it's Yankee Red Sox, I mean, I could use more than 50 degrees or 35 degrees or whatever the heck it's going to be on Thursday in the rain. But still, whenever the Yankees and Red Sox are playing, it doesn't get any better than that. It's still the best rivalry in sports. Carolina Duke is good. Yankees and Red Sox are still it. That's all there is to it. And here's the thing, though. I'm, th- I'm really tired of hearing the Yankees. I don't need to hear. I know maybe the Yankees feel that Beltran has to do this to be initiated into the Yankee culture. But I don't want to hear any more about this 217 stuff. The Yankees, and especially Cashman, have to just be quiet. Hey. So they stole signs, and that's why the Yankees lost. How about the Yankees lost? Okay. And they weren't guaranteed to win anything that year, as we know. But the Yankees were playing well at that time, lost, because they went down to Houston and they scored three runs in four games. In game seven, they got shut out. Morton went five innings, and then McCullers went in there. And, hey, the Yanks are talking about how what an advantage the Astros have because they knew what was coming. The Yanks knew what was coming for four innings from McCullers. He didn't throw anything except the curveball the entire four innings. He threw curveball after curveball, I believe, if I remember right. He threw 24 curveballs in a row. And Yankee after Yankee went down, they got four scoreless innings, and they got shut out on three hits in that game. They scored three stinking runs in Houston. They got a bird homer, a judge homer, and scratched out one other run. You're not winning anything if you go to a place and in four games get three runs. That's why they lost. And the Yankees just have to stop it. First of all, the Yankees brought in every steroid guy known to man. 2003 Game 7, when Jambi's hitting home runs, did anybody say, oh, wait, wait a second, got to give that Game 7 back? I know I know. Mussina held the fort, and Mariano was brilliant for three innings, and Boone hit a big home run. But you know what? We had to give the game back because we had guys who did, who, who would, noted steroid users who uh, helped the Yankees get past the Red Sox in that game. I never heard that. Yankees lost the World Series that year, as we know. After having a 2-1 lead. Never should have, but they did. But the Yankees have gone through a terrible postseason run here. They've continued to get to the playoffs. They've continued to win their 90 games, sometimes more. 
They have been very consistent, but they have been awful. They've won one World Series. And if not for A-Rod, they don't win anything. He carried them that postseason. He had 16 postseason RBIs. They don't win anything without him that year. That year, he finally came up huge in the postseason. And I'm not getting back to each Yankee who did steroids, but let's be honest, there's a whole truckload of them and not a word. So how about the Yankees just forget about the fact that the Astros cheated? All right, they did. We all know it. Fine. Guys got set down for a year. Other guys lost jobs. Beltran lost a job. We understand that, okay? But that's not why the Yankees didn't win. It's not why they didn't win that series, and we don't even know if they would have won the World Series because they haven't won a World Series in 20 years. They've won one. One in 20 years. They've been to one since 2003. And I, for one, am so tired of hearing the Yankees whine. How about the Yankees stop trying to find reasons for excuses and remember what it is to be the Yankees? And maybe those postseason failings will go by the board if they remember what it is to be Yankees and get clutch hits and get big hits and get big outs. Because they haven't done that forever. They have been a lousy postseason team. They've gotten there most years, and they've been terrible most years. It has been a long, long time for the Yankees. When you think about it, how long it has been. And just think about how different careers would have been if they hadn't won that championship against the Phillies in 2009. How many guys would have had different careers, including Cashman, would never be here now if he didn't have that World Series. But I am so tired of hearing the Yankees moan and groan. How about getting back to being the Yankees on the field, off the field, and getting back to that? And maybe they'll find the recipe they used to have, which is where they acted like champions and played like champions instead of whining and whining and making alibis and excuses. It's sickening. Enough already. As this CS thoughts, how about a new leaf? Forget about what happened. Forget about how lousy they've been in the postseason in the last 19 years. Just Start a new era. And getting back and being like the Yankees used to be. The Yankees. Not even going to talk about the Yankees of Mantle and Maris and Yogi and Whitey. Not even going to talk about the Yankees of 77 and 78 who were tough and gritty and clutch. Or the great Yankees of the late 90s who were so good in the postseason, led by Jeta and Bernie and Mariano and Andy, and go on and on and on, not just them, so many different guys.
My favorite Yankee rally of all of them was eighth inning, 03. Because it showed what that team was about. It wasn't about one guy. It wasn't about somebody launching a home run. It was about grit and toughness and clutch. And yeah, manager made a mistake by leaving Pedro in there. He's probably spent. Still the best he had, but probably spent. But remember, the ball Jeter hit, Trot Nixon stepped the wrong way, took two bad steps, and it went over his head. Should have been caught. It was hit hard, but it should have been caught. Instead, it opens the inning with a double. And then the fun starts. Then the Yankees do what the Yankees do. Put the pressure on the opposition. Down. Put the pressure on them. Down 5-2. Bernie lines a base hit to center field. Now you're down two runs with a runner on first base. And then Matsui launches a double inside the first base bag. Now you got second and third. Then you got a Posada fights off a pitch and hits a Tessica League, and now you're 5-5. Five, five. An aided double, a line drive single, a bullet inside the first base bag, and a Texas leaguer. And 5-2 is 5-5. We all know what happened. And one of the great games any of us ever had a chance to experience. Those were the Yankees. The guys who came from behind. Against the Braves, down 2-0 in 86 and 96. Those were the Yankees. The guys won 14 World Series games in a row. Think about that now. Think about that. The Yankees can't find a World Series with a map. The Tory Yankees of the late 90s won 14 World Series games in a row. Get back to those days. Stop whining. Remember, baseball on Wednesday, and we'll download it before Wednesday evening. Over-unders, Yankees-Mets, Bobby V, who knows, maybe even Eddie C, and a couple other surprises. And then a Masters special. I'll have some guests and some predictions and some long shots and everything else as you get ready for Augusta on Thursday. Hey, enjoy the championship game tonight. Get ready for baseball a couple days away. If you're a golf fan or even a sports fan, get ready for the Masters. Who knows? Maybe even get ready for Tiger Woods and the saga of Mr. Woods, adding another layer to what has been one of the really amazing careers in the history of this nation. Sports is good. It is really good. BetRivers.com for all your gambling needs. Get the podcast there. Get it at Apple, Spotify, or wherever else you get it. Thanks for listening to the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hey, it's Mike Miss here. What a time to be a Philly sports fan. And you can share the excitement with me each week on the Mike Missinelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Listen and subscribe to the Mike Missinelli podcast today, wherever you get your podcasts.